Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. Hey, praise God. Amen. Woohoo. What am I supposed to say? He is risen. He is risen indeed. There's three people over 60 in the house. Okay. You're over 60 then. (laughs) All right. Well, it's time for the word. You know, that's what makes um, Jesus different. Buddha in the grave, right? Joseph Smith in the grave. Who am I missing? Who's the big fat guy? I don't know. Santa? That was Buddha. Muhammad. That's what I'm thinking of. In the grave. Jesus? He's alive. That changes everything. I was um, trying to figure out, I don't know, it still kind of feels awkward. We've got people like standing, giving all that stuff. Let's stand up together. Let's just pray and ask the Lord to bless this time that we have to sow the seed into our souls that would produce a harvest deep within us. Father God, we just stand before you in your house, knowing, Lord, that you are alive, that you are free, free to love, free to minister, free to heal, free to give, free to touch, free to do what you would like to do for this particular day. May we open up our hearts to you. May we be open to the things that you are doing, even in this day, in this hour, even though it's a unique kind of time and it's like a holiday for us. It's a holiday because you instituted it, because you rose from the dead, because you conquered the grave, because you set captives free, because you healed the sick, because you rose the dead, and all of us were dead at one time. You raised us. You changed the world. And may you continue to change the world through us. May we be ambassadors, your voice, your hands, your feet, your your workers, your crew, your family, your loved ones, may we honor you in all the days that you have given us here. In Jesus' name, in your name we pray. Amen? Amen. All right. I was talking to my family this week. I think Randy's called me, and I might have mentioned this with my wife too, but he called and he said, Hey, Dad, how many Easter services have you preached? And I, I said, I don't know, 81? I don't know. Um, a ton of a ton of them, and uh, to me though, it really doesn't get old. It does not get old because we serve a living God. And so I was reading over, um, you know, I always go to John twenty. Uh, turn it. I'm not in John twenty. Turn to John twenty. We'll start there. We'll see what the Lord does. The title at the beginning of John twenty is actually what we've already been kind of like singing about and thinking about and pondering is the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. And I just love that. I love the fact that our, you know, God is alive. And, and when, you know, here's the deal. I would love to be able to convey to you this morning everything that's on the inside of me, that 
you could feel the emotion that it that you just like garnish when you meditate on the empty tomb. When you meditate on the things that God does, the things that, that he has already done and is accomplishing in our lives and how he's moving amongst us and and what Pastor Robert said is absolutely true. We're different than we were three years ago. Praise God. You know, he is alive. Like, he moves on our behalf. And I love that because I've always, it's always been taught to me, like, how you operate in this world depends on where you put your butt. Just makes sense to me. Like, if you, like, you know that Jesus is Lord, but I've got issues. I've got problems, I've got stuff, then you need prayer. But if you say it the other way, oh, there's all these things in this world. There's all that, there's COVID that happened three years ago or whatever, all these issues in my life, but he has risen. Then everything just changes. And so there were two things that really um, like piqued my spirit when I was preparing for today. And then the Lord was kind of like adding more stuff during worship. I don't know if you guys have ever spoke in front of a group of people or prepared a meeting for people at work or what forth, but it's always such an awesome feeling when, you know, minutes before you begin, the Lord changes a little something, you know? You're like, ah, Lord, you couldn't have told me that yesterday. Usually the response is, you weren't listening yesterday. You're off doing your Easter stuff. I don't know why people think that rabbits have eggs anyway. I, it's weird. It's so weird. There are a couple of verses in chapter 20 that just really struck me when I was uh, preparing for today. And then on Good Friday, uh, Chris and I were reading about going to the cross and I forget what chapter we were reading, Matthew 27. And when we were reading Matthew 27 together, which is kind of a long chapter, there was a phrase near the beginning of the chapter and a phrase like two-thirds into the chapter that just my spirit just leapt. And so I want to talk about that too. So there's really two things that I want to talk about. A couple of verses in John 20 and a, and a couple of verses in Matthew 27. And... The couple that I want to begin with in um, John 20, he kind of turned into a parable for me. A parable, I don't know exactly what the real definition of a parable is, but I believe it's kind of like a, a truth hidden in a puzzle. And it's, our, it's, it's his pleasure for us to solve the puzzle. And when we solve the puzzle, we actually get greater truth and greater depth and greater reality than we would have had if we didn't solve the puzzle. And sometimes when Jesus spoke out these parables, even the closest to him didn't get it. And they were like, Lord, I don't get it. And he would always like explain it to them. But then he would say, let those that have ears hear what I'm really trying to say. And I'm just a voice box today to tell you that if you could really hear what Jesus is saying today, your life will change. 
I don't care if you've been a Christian for many years. I don't care if you feel like you're so connected to Jesus that whatever I say is almost like depressing compared to what you feel on the inside. If you get what Jesus is saying today, your life will improve, increase, grow, mature. You'll be full of joy, full of awesomeness. You'll walk around looking like me. <laughs> Praise God. Some of you are, are like fasting starting now. Like, oh no, okay, no, Lord. So uh, let's read some of this together because I'd like to put it in context. The Word of God is always exciting, amen, when we really can hear it, when we really see what Jesus did. So starting at the empty tomb of John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary went to the tomb early while it was still dark. (laughs) She saw something. She saw that the tomb was empty. That the stone had been taken away. Larry, uh, Larry, Larry, (laughs) what what am I talking about? (laughs) Larry's brother, Larry's sister, Mary. Uh, Mary was the last one at the tomb. And she's the first one at the tomb. She was the last one when he was placed in the tomb. She's the first one to notice when he was out of the tomb. It's super cool. So if you look a couple of verses earlier, the last time they saw Jesus was um, verse 40 of chapter 19. says, then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen. That's actually significant in the Jewish culture. Like, the, the priest, they had all these, the Levite, the Levitical priest that manned the temple, that uh, like oversaw the sacrifices. At one point in time in um, Ezekiel chapter 44, whew, you never know what's in, the, what's in those dark corners of your brain until you think for a minute. Um, the priests were told that they were no longer allowed to wear garments other than linen. They were only allowed to wear linen garments, except for the high priest. The high priest was like in all its splendor and the robes and the bells and the, and the ephod and the, all this stuff. Would, would Even when he walked, there was bells on the bottom of his robe so you could hear the bells, except for on Yom Kippur, except for on the Day of Atonement, except for when he went into the most holy place. He had to just wear linen, according to Ezekiel 44. And the purpose for that was that wool created sweat, which signifies work. And the high priest already accomplished the work. So we don't work to gain access to Jesus. We simply have faith in what he did. No work. He's done. He's accomplished it. And when the high priest would go in to the most holy place and meet with God himself at the Ark of the Covenant on the seat of mercy, in the most holy place, God would show up. He says, I will meet you there. And it was called the Shekinah glory. Like one time out of the year. And everybody else was sitting on the outskirts in the outer course waiting for the high priest who had a rope tied around his ankle. Because if the sacrifice wasn't accomplished, if it wasn't done correctly, if they were not forgiven, he'd be struck dead and they'd have to pull him out because no one else was going to go in there. And they're all waiting and waiting and waiting. 
for the high priest to accomplish the duties of the priest, that he would come out and he would just say one word, forgiven. And when he declared and proclaimed that it was accomplished, that it was done, they were forgiven for another year. This is a, that was a picture of the real forgiveness that wasn't done for one year, but it was done for all of eternity, for the rest of time. Jesus, who is our high priest, he came out. He came out and he declared for all of eternity, you're forgiven. Last time Mary saw him, he was just wearing linen, signifying that he had done the work already. He was our high priest and is our high priest. This is falling flat. You guys getting this? It's all good because we don't have to work for that relationship. We don't have to like do something. We don't have to like figure something out. All we have to do is say yes to him. We say yes to Jesus and it's like, boom, forgiven. The purchase, the cost, the price paid for our forgiveness has already been paid, but it's not redeemed until we say yes to him. And when we say, yes, Lord, he says, forgiven. He doesn't go back to his bank account to find out if he's got enough money to pay for the sins that that Al committed. It's already been paid for. It's already done. I've already been redeemed. All I got to do is say, yes, Lord. Amen. It's done. I don't got to do anything. It's already been done. He didn't say it is almost done. He said it is, he didn't say it's almost finished. He said it is finished. Finito, done, accomplished, boom. It's awesome. Okay, you guys are going to have to start listening faster because I I didn't even get to the verse I wanted to get to at all. Not even close. All right. Just get a little bit excited. She ran and went and got Peter and John. Then Peter and John, they ran to the tomb. John outran Peter, it says. Well, you know, he wrote this book. I don't know how much competition you guys have. I'm a twin. We came out of the womb competing. I won, by the way. I'm two minutes older. And two minutes wiser than my brother. I, I won the race. And let me tell you, like, if I was John and I won the race to the tomb, I'm going to record it too. So for all of eternity, it's going to be known, I won. You just see, like, Peter and John having dinner together and at the great banquet hall in, in heaven. is like John sitting there, you know, grabbing a ham. Let's go with ham. And then Peter comes up and sits down next to him. John says, about time, slowpoke. I've been eating. I'm in my second course. You're slow. He won. And I used to make a comment or, or, or preach on, you know, there's different words for see, to be able to see. I talk about what, the, what that meant. Uh, you know, John came to the tomb first, and it says that he saw, and there's a particular Hebrew word for that which simply means that it registered in his mind what he was looking at. He just talked about it's empty. And then Peter, you know, bald, strong, big Peter, bust right through, goes right on in, and he sees something. And then John, it says that he, like, 
use the word to see like a detective, like I actually saw and deduced that the reason that he was, that the tomb's empty, that the reason the handkerchief uh, is folded is because he's alive. He made that determination. I preached that for many, many years, love that. But I want to skip to Mary again, verse 11. Larry's sister, uh, verse 11. The Lord kind of highlighted something. It says, but Mary stood outside by the tomb. So they, the disciples went away to their own homes. I don't know how long they were there. Like they deduced that he's alive. I don't know what, how long would you stay there in front of an empty tomb knowing that he's alive? I, I, I might have been hours for me. I'd just been like basking in the awesomeness of knowing that he's alive. It says then, verse 10, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. I actually don't think that you can see Jesus without stooping down. I'm not sure that you can actually relate to him unless you lower yourself. I'm not sure you can actually make that connection with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords unless you get out of your own way and you stoop down. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. That would be quite the sight. Hi, Gabe. Hi, Michael. Then they said to her, Woman, why, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said, th- these are the two verses, by the way, that were highlighted to me in my spirit this week. Why are you weeping? She says, because they've taken him away, and I don't know where, where he's at. And verse 14 says, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. I just love that. She, she turned around. She repented. She went in the other direction. She turned, and then she saw Jesus. We all have to do that. We have to lower ourselves. We have to turn around to see Jesus. And I actually thought that was going to be my whole, that I was just going to, you know, make a whole message out of this. I got like 20 some minutes left. I was going to like bring in other verses and, you know, hammer that point home and, you know, turn around and see Jesus. And the Lord just changed it. He just changed the whole thing on me and kind of created a parable about it in my mind. It's a puzzle that needs to be solved. Because in my mind, when I read that, I just stopped right there. She turned around and she saw Jesus, just like the world needs to do. The world needs to turn around, repent, and see Jesus. However, when she turned around and she saw Jesus, she still did not recognize him. It says... Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. I think 
that that is a picture of our world today. I think that Jesus is alive. I think that the tomb is empty. I think that Jesus is here. And I think that when Jesus reveals himself to the world, when the world literally looks at Jesus, they don't recognize him. They don't see him for who he is. They don't recognize him and what he's done. They don't realize that Jesus has already paid for them to be completely and wholly forgiven. They don't understand that they're redeemed. And I think that's also true. That's not only true for the world, but that's actually true for many of us in the church. That many times we are looking right in the face of Jesus and we don't recognize him for who he is. We don't understand necessarily what he's doing. Where are we at? Why is this happening? And I think that sometimes, so we all have different anointings and we all have different giftings and we all have different ways of looking at things. And I honestly think that one of the giftings that I have is a terrible memory. I think that's, I was talking with somebody about that earlier this week. Somebody says something against me. Somebody does something that causes me pain. And honestly, one of the reasons I think that the Lord has called me to be a pastor of a church is that by the next day, I kind of forget. I just don't remember what happened. And I don't want to remember. I, there, was time, there was a time when Chris and I went to this um, forgiveness weekend. How's that for a forgiveness weekend? Not, not for each other. <laughs> you guys are all looking at me like, how bad is she? <laughs> like, but what they do, I, 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 they would like preach about, you know, you need to forgive for, you need to forgive people that have done this. And then they would talk about that. And then they would do an altar call. And Chris would go up to the altar and she'd lay it all down before the Lord. And then she would come back. I, I wouldn't go to the altar. I was just sitting in my pew, happy in my loss of memory. <laughs> like, you know, don't wake me up. I'm happy. And she'd come back and she'd say, why didn't you go to the altar? And I'd say, I, I got nothing. And she'd say, Al, they, they were asking people to come up and leave at the altar for people that have done this. This person did that to you, that person did that to you, and that person did that to you. And my response was always, you couldn't have told me that 15 minutes ago? Like, now the altar call's over. I, it's done. We as a body of Christ need to, to walk in that kind, of, that kind of forgiveness. To just give it up unto the Lord. I have this picture in my mind about the Revolutionary War. Isn't that weird? The, the Continental Army, when they were July of 1776, Congress like formed a, a document. They declared something. Remember that? They declared their independence from tyranny. 
they sign what's what we call the Declaration of Independence. And I've read about that a few different times. And I think it would be awesome to to be a fly on the wall when they were signing it. And, and they knew, they 100% knew that by signing that declaration, they were signing their own death warrant. They all felt like they were going to be hung by a rope for signing this, to declaring their independence from Great Britain, and that they were going to literally start a war. This group of Americans, small, were going to start a war with, with a great army. John Hancock signs it super large, right? They say he signed it with this huge, you know, I always thought he signed it that big. They'll know that I signed it first. He signed it so big and he turned and he said, I want them to be able to see my name when they come after us. Because when I give my life, I want it to be real. One of the, um, one of the senators that was, I don't remember these names now. I, wrote, I read this a long time ago. One of the senators that was um, small in stature was, and there was one that was really large. And the, the large one, the big guy turned to the small one and said, I'm going to die before you. You're so little, you'll be dangling by the rope minutes after I'm gone. It's like, yeah. We're all going to die by signing this Declaration of Independence. And then they, then there was a war. And the Continental Army was losing all these battles. They weren't trained. They weren't large in number. And they were getting ready to go like to, to winter. They were going to winter at Valley Forge for the winter. December of 1777. And they go and there's, there's like... Um, History is written around the, this winter that took place at Valley Forge. They say that this was the battle that won our independence, that won the war. But yet there was no gun fired. There was no enemy slaughtered. It was just they went to Valley Forge, and there's depictions that they didn't have any tents. They didn't have any shoes. They didn't have any shirts. They didn't have any blankets, and they didn't have any food. And they're going. It was after, it was in December, and uh, at Thanksgiving time, I read where one of the soldiers talked about what he ate. He ate um, a gill of rice and a spoonful of vinegar. I don't even know what a gill is. doesn't sound like a lot. That's what they had for Thanksgiving dinner. The, the, the November before December, like before going into this, thing without any clothes, without any provisions, without any way of like sustaining themselves. George Washington wrote that you would be able to know where we have marched because of the blood from the feet of the soldiers that was laid in the snow on their way. Wow. And they went in there and um, I read where there was like a couple of thousand of them were sick in the hospital uh, they were losing limbs. Uh, their their toes and and feet and some legs were grew black from frostbite and cold that they were amputating some of the limbs of the soldiers, and it was kind of like depressing, and like how are we even going to survive? But they recognized that when George Washington would ride throughout the camp, he would like admonish them to make sure that they are praying, to make sure that they are petitioning God, 
and they recognized that when he rode around the camp, all of their spirits were lifted. And then one of the guys' name, his last name was Potts. I don't remember his first name. He happened to, to run into George Washington in the woods, and, and he was on his knees praying for the men. Like he lived this thing out. And they say that they went into Valley Forge for that winter being distraught, untrained, like no way we're going to win. And they came out full of God, being led by a man that was on his knees constantly. They said that in every morning he was, he was petitioning God every morning. And they came out being unified and ready to win the war. And they won. There was a quote from someone that said, there is no way that this army is going to lose. Look at their leader praying. That's what they pointed to. Not how many guns they had, not how strong they were, but look at the prayers of the men at Valley Forge. They won their declaration of independence was secured in the wintertime before they were even waging the next battle. This is the picture of the world today. We have won our independence from the devil. We are no longer in tyranny. We have been set free. And our captain is alive. Our general is God. There's no way that we can lose. There is absolutely no way. And there's times when we feel like we're not provided for. There's times when we feel like we're frostbite. There's times when we feel like, how are we going to win? And I'm just here to tell you, we already won. We won. The parable that the Lord gave me in regards to verse 13 and 14. was that Mary represents the world. That she turned around and she saw Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus loved her and he saw her, but she didn't see him. The world does not recognize Jesus. And we, the bride, the church, we represent Jesus. We are his voice. We are his ambassadors. We are the ones that he sends to the world to introduce the world to himself. So here's the solution and how Jesus did it. Verse 15 says, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's she supposing him to be the gardener. Said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, In this parable, we are Jesus. The church is the voice of the Lord. Jesus didn't get upset with her. He didn't get angry and start yelling at her. He didn't like, like wring his hands and walk away from her. He just looked at her. And said, Mary, I'm here to tell you that we as the church need to turn to the world 
and call it by name. We need to talk to the world. We need to represent Jesus to the world. Wow, it got really heavy all of a sudden in here. It's like, you all kind of are looking at me like, you do it. We need to do this thing. We, we as a church need to do this thing. The church has already given out anger. The church has already given out wringing the hands and walking away from the world. The church has done these things. It doesn't work. We need to go to the world and just simply be able to call them by name. So on Good Friday, Chris was like wanting to read Matthew 27 together. It's so important to, to read the word. Amen. That's when he talks to me the most. And um, I just, I, I want to convey this in a way that you guys will understand. Like, um, when you get up in the morning and it's a holiday and you want to sleep in, when you're my age, you can't. But you just get up and you just kind of want to go into the kitchen and uh, make, I want to make eggs and sausage and just kind of like hang out. Just, I just, you do, you feel like you don't want to do anything. Been there? Nobody? And your wife says, let's read Matthew 27 together. I mean, that's always a good thing, right? But there's times you're like, ah, I don't want to, I don't feel like reading. I don't want to, you know. When we were younger, we'd fight more. We'd have like arguments. Anybody been married for less than a year? Okay. We'll pray for you guys. We got married 83 years ago. And um, she was she had just turned 19. I was 20. And after being married for a number of years, we're teaching a young marriage class in a Sunday school class at a church. And Chris is teaching and she says, yeah, the first year is the toughest year. It's super difficult. And I'm sitting there like, what? Bad memory. <laughs> I was like, it wasn't so bad. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> we used to have this thing, though. Like, um, we misinterpreted one of the scriptures. We thought that, you know, it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So we wanted to solve everything before we w- we'd go to bed. And she's one of those truth tellers, right? She's not going to just solve it. Like most guys are like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm wrong. You're right. Let's go to bed. That's not good enough for a truth teller. There's like, no, why are you wrong? Uh, I don't know. One thing I will say that's not good for a marriage. Do not, do not fall asleep in the middle of an argument. That is not good. You know, it's like, how dare you fall asleep right now? It's 1030. No, I'm just kidding. But one of the things that always solved any argument we had, one of the things that like it would be like, we could be arguing for like two hours and then somebody would say this thing and bang, 10 minutes later, it was over. One of us, 99% of the time is her. We need to pray. How many of you guys know that prayer works? How many of you guys know that 
you want to pray to solve the problem. How many of you know, except for when it's her that rec- that request that suggests this? It's like, I don't want to pray. That's what it's like in a marriage all the time. I don't want to read the word. It's Good Friday. He didn't want to go to the cross. We're going to read the word. So we're reading all that just to say we were reading Matthew 20. Is it 27? Yeah, there it is. We're reading through this. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Because there was a phrase that hit me. Verse 3 says, Then Judas, his betrayer. I, I haven't met anybody named Judas ever, I don't think. I think this kind of changed changed it, right? As soon as... Is it... Oh, it's Judah. That's a little different. Yeah. If your name is Judas, you probably are not looking forward to Judgment Day. It's Judah, Lord. It's Judah. Uh, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. See, Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas was paid uh, 30 pieces of silver, which was prophesied in the Old Testament, which was part of the plan. He was the son of perdition. But when it all took place, he felt extreme remorse. He was totally outside himself. He comes back to the priests and to the elders, and he says this in verse 4, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said to him, what's that to us? You see to it. He's trying to make it right. He's trying to change the course of history here. And they're like, what's that to us? You see to it. They said, you see to it. Now in verse 24, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, who was the judge, who was the one that convicted him, but also did not want to do it. Pilate didn't want to do it either. His wife had a dream. He gets out a bowl of, in front of the, 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 the assembly and washes his hands. And he says, you know, I wash my hands of this thing. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult. What's that mean? Group, group crowd, bunch of people. I'm trying to find, you know, that verse 24 gets a little bit smaller. Uproar. Okay, it means uproar. That an uproar was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Now, you would think that when you're reading this thing, we're reading it just, I'm, I'm, you know, making it so that you guys get it. But when we're reading it together on Good Friday, Friday morning, this whole chapter, we read about um, Judas, who wants to forget this thing. The, the priest and the elders say, you see to it. Oh, I want to change this. You see to it. I don't want to do it this way. You see to it. And then fast forward, I don't know, 40 verses later, uh, Pilate's also trying to change it. Pilate doesn't want to do this thing. He's a just man. He's determined that. He does not want to follow through with, with what 
is required of him to follow through. And he washes his hands and says, you see to it. And I'm just here to say that just peaked something on the inside of me. And I'm here to convey, to proclaim to the church, it's our turn. The world doesn't want to recognize Jesus. The world doesn't want to see the light of the Lord. And I'm here to tell the church it's time for us to see to it that they that they are able to that they are able to receive Jesus. It's our turn. You see to it. And that might be like, oh, whatever, you just read something. Listen, I don't have that great of a memory. I can't remember 10, ten minutes ago. I'm not going to like read that at this verse and then read it 30 verses later. And all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Chris was reading. Whoa, 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 stop. What? What did that say? You see to it. That's what we need to do. We need to see to it. This isn't rocket science. This isn't like super deep, super inspirational. This isn't like, oh, did you hear what Pastor Al said? No, this is the Holy Spirit saying it is time for the church to see that the world recognizes Jesus. And we start by doing what General Washington did in the woods. We get on our knees. The world is frostbite. The world is cold. The world is hungry. The world is not provided for. The world is losing limbs. The world is thinking that they're depressed or defeated. But somehow when Jesus is brought into the picture, they're uplifted. It's time for us to see to it. And it starts by getting in, on, in our prayer closets. Now, there's also another side to this thing. So I'm losing some of you. Just stay with me. We're almost done. Sometimes the church acts like the world. Sometimes the church does not recognize Jesus. Sometimes we feel like, you know, I've turned around, and I've turned around, and I've turned around, and we're actually staring Jesus right in the face, but we don't recognize him. And we must make sure, ensure, that we have eyes to see. That's what we need to do. We are only on this planet for such a brief period of time. And I'm just like, I'm just like you guys. I have flesh. Somebody says, hey, how come you're not doing a Bible study on Tuesday night or something? I'm like, I don't know. Read your own Bible. I don't want to do that. You know? I think you need to come and pray at 6 o'clock over here. I'm like, dude. I prayed at five in the morning. Why don't you come to my house at five and we'll pray together? Sometimes we don't recognize. I'm just, I don't even know why I'm saying this. What I'm trying to say is we must have our own personal relationship with him. And there are times, I'm telling you, as the bride, as a Christian, as one that has flesh just like you, there are times when I don't see him. There are times when I play the part of Mary. There are times when I turn around and I'm looking, I don't see him. I turn around and I'm here, I don't see him. There are times when that happens. And when that happens, you've got to get back to the Word. You've got to know that this is the Word of God. You've got to read it. And you say, I don't feel like Jesus is in this. I don't care what you feel. 
I care what the word says. And there's too many times when we're like, man, if I could just feel you, Lord. He's like, you don't need to feel me. I talk to you. You don't need to feel it. I'm speaking to you. I don't feel healed. You're healed. I don't feel taken care of. I took care of you. I don't feel like you're even here, Lord. I'm inside you. I can't get any closer. And sometimes, as the church, when we don't feel him, we give up. Lord, all I had, all I'm getting is a gill of rice and a spoonful of vinegar. I don't get this. If our general is on his knees and he's praying in the woods, then how come I got no food? If he is up every morning petitioning, Lord, why are my feet bleeding? All those guys are now dead. All those guys are now in eternity. They don't even remember if they had sore feet or not. All they know is we worshiped Jesus and we are here. There's so many times. I, you know, I love the gospel. I love the prosperity gospel. I don't care. Preach wealth. Preach healing. Preach all this good stuff about the Lord. Good, because we receive it by faith. And I want to receive all those blessings. I don't want to not live up to the benefit package that was provided and paid for me. I want to receive all of that. But when I don't see it right away, I still worship Jesus. That's the attitude that we have to have. Those guys had already signed the Declaration of Independence. They didn't really know it yet, but they kind of did. They already won. You and I, the Declaration of Independence from the devil has already been signed. We won. It's actually over. And everything we do now is just honoring him or dishonoring him, one or the other. I don't know about you. I want to honor him. Righteousness is the commodity that's used to purchase things in heaven. And he gave us his righteousness. He gave it to us. Here you go. Here it is. We always like picture these things that are given to us by the Lord. Like, I don't know. Do I feel it on the I don't know. I picture it as a suitcase being handed to me by the Lord. Here, inside this thing is your righteousness. I'm going to take it and hold on to it. He already gave it to me. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. We're grateful you spent this time with us, and we hope the message today has moved you. Please be sure to join us again next week for another episode of the Salt Church Podcast. God bless, and we'll see you next time.